When I hit a thousand followers for the podcast, I'm going to do an entire episode in German. And you can help me get there by subscribing and sharing the podcast on all your social media and with all your friends. dad i hope you're having a great day and welcome to the tall friendly atheist dad podcast thumbs up somewhere somehow daz i see you And I think, yes, it looks like I'm finally live. All right. This is An Atheist Reads Letter to a Christian Nation A Challenge to Faith by Sam Harris Foreword by Richard Dawkins So I'm going to start with the foreword by Richard Dawkins. Sam Harris doesn't mess about. He writes directly to his Christian reader as you. And he pays you the compliment of taking your belief seriously. If one of us is right, the other is wrong. In the fullness of time, one side is really going to win this argument and the other is really going to lose. But you don't, as I can personally understate, have to fit the you profile in order to enjoy this marvellous little book. Every word zings like an elegantly fletched arrow from a taut bowstring and flies in a gracefully swift arc to the target, where it thuds satisfyingly into the bullseye. If you are part of the target, I dare you to read this book. It will be a salutary test of your faith. Survive Sam Harris's barrage, and you can take on the world with equanimity. But forgive my scepticism. Harris never misses, not with a single sentence. Which is why his short book is so disproportionately devastating. And let me just check if there's any, any comments on the stream. Give me a second, because I may just try share. Oh, copy link. Beautiful. All right. I'm copying the link. Copying the link. Bear with me, guys. 
this is actually my very first live stream. So, uh, I still need to, uh, get the hang of, hang of how all this works. I will get back to the book shortly. Let me just share the link with yeah, my, my three followers. <laughs> anyway, let me, let me hit that. Let me hit that. And back to the book. If you already share Harris's and my doubts about religious faith and are not, are not part of his target, this book will powerfully arm you to argue against those who are. Or you may be Christian and still not part of the target. This book freely admits that there are Christians who take, as they would see it, a more nuanced view. Liberal and moderate Christians will not always recognize themselves in the Christian I address. They should, however, recognize many of their neighbors and more than 150 million Americans. And that's the point. If the menace of those 150 millions that provoke this book, if your religious beliefs are so vague and nebulous that even well-aimed arrows bounce off unnoticed, Harris is not writing for you directly. But you should still care about the emergency that concerns him and me. Where I, as a scientific educator, am dismayed by the 50% of Americans who believe the world is 6,000 years old, an error equivalent to believing that, di that the distance from New York to San Francisco is shorter than a cricket pitch. Sam Harris is at least as urgently concerned with other beliefs held by roughly the same 50%. Share that link there. It is, therefore, not an exaggeration to say that if London, Sydney, or New York were suddenly replaced by a ball of fire, some significant percentage of the American population would see a silver lining in the subsequent mushroom cloud, as it would suggest to them that the best thing that is ever going to happen was about to happen the return of Christ. It should be blindingly obvious that beliefs of this sort will do little to help humanity create a durable future for itself, socially, economically, environmentally, or geopolitically. Imagine the consequences if any significant component of the US government actually believed that the world was about to end and that its ending would be glorious. The fact that nearly half of the American population apparently believes this, purely on the basis of religious dogma, should be considered a moral and intellectual emergency. The Christian nation 
for whom the book was originally written is, of course, the United States. But it would be complacent folly for us to dismiss it as a purely American problem. The USA, at least, is protected by Jefferson's enlightened wall of separation between church and state. Religion is part of Britain's historic establishment, while at this moment our most pious political leadership since Gladstone is hell-bent on supporting faith schools. And not just the traditional Christian schools, be it noticed, for our government, egged on by an heir to the throne who wishes to be known as defender of faith, is actively sympathetic towards the us-too bleatings of other faith communities, eager for state-subsidised indoctrination of their children. Would it be possible to design a more divisive educational formula? More importantly, the world's only superpower is close to domination by electors who believe the entire universe began after the domestication of the dog, and believe that they will be personally raptured up to heaven within their own lifetime, followed by an Armageddon welcomed as harbinger of the second coming. Even from this side of the Atlantic, Sam Harris's phrase, moral and intellectual emergency begins to look like an understatement. I began by saying that Sam Harris doesn't mess about. One of his points is that none of us can afford to. Letter to a Christian nation will stir you. Whether it stirs you to defensive or offensive action, it will not leave you unchanged. Read it if it is the last thing you do, and hope that it won't be. This is one thing that I have noticed about Letter to a Christian Nation, is that the people who agree with Sam Harris, and particularly this book, will you know, enthusiastically recommend it. And I know I actually read this as I was coming out of faith. And it changed me. It, it helped me see a new perspective on things. Whereas what I've noticed is that Christians, especially those whose identity is strongly associated with the, with the Christian faith, they will respond to Sam Harris's book as, well, there's one comment I got saying that you know, Sam Harris, the, the book was laughable, um, that it commits to no true Scotsman fallacy. Um, there was one comment I got that, oh, Sam Harris believes that uh, because bad things happen, God doesn't exist. That was one comment I got as well. And 
yeah, this seems to be a very a very polarizing book. Anyway, that was the foreword by Richard Dawkins. Note to the reader. Since the publication of my first book, The End of Faith, thousands of people have written to me to tell me that I am wrong not to believe in God. The most hostile of these communications have come from Christians. This is ironic, as Christians generally imagine that no faith imparts the virtues of love and forgiveness more effectively than their own. The truth is that many who claim to be transformed by Christ's love are deeply, even murderously, intolerant of criticism. While we may want to ascribe this to human nature, it is clear that such hatred draws considerable support from the Bible. How do I know this? The most disturbed of my correspondents always cite chapter and verse. While this book is intended for people of all faiths, it has been written in the form of a letter to Christians in the United States. In it, I respond to many of the arguments that conservative Christians put forward in defense of their religious beliefs. Consequently, the Christian I address throughout is a Christian in a narrow sense of the term. Such a person believes, at a minimum, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and that only those who accept the divinity of Jesus Christ will experience salvation after death. Dozens of scientific surveys suggest that well over half of the American population subscribes to these beliefs. Of course, such metaphysical commitments do not imply any particular nationality, nationality or denomination of Christianity. Conservative Christians in every country and of every sect, Catholics, mainline Protestants, Evangelicals, Baptists, Pentecostals, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so on, are equally implicated in my argument. While no other developed nation can match America for her piety, all nations must now live with the consequences of what my fellow Americans believe. As is well known, the beliefs of conservative Christians now exert an extraordinary influence over public discourse in the United States, in our courts, in our schools, and in every branch of government. While the larger purpose of my work is to arm secularists in every society against their increasingly zealous opponents, I have specifically set out 
to demolish the intellectual and moral pretensions of Christianity in its most committed forms. Consequently, liberal and moderate Christians will not always recognize themselves in the Christian I address. They should, however, recognize many of their neighbors and more than 150 million Americans. I have little doubt that most Christians living outside the United States will find the eerie certainties of the Christian right to be as troubling as I do. It is my hope, however, that they will also begin to see that the respect they accord religious belief in general gives shelter to extremists of all faiths. Although most believers do not fly planes into buildings or organize their lives around apocalyptic prophecy, few question the legitimacy of raising a child to believe that she is a Christian, a Muslim, or a Jew. Thus, even the most progressive faiths lend tacit support to the religious divisions in our world. In Letter to a Christian Nation, however, I engage Christianity at its most divisive, injurious, and retrograde. In this, liberals, moderates, and non-believers can recognize a common cause. Let me pause there for a second. And let me see if there are any messages and how many did Sam get? Okay, Sam got most of the votes. Good. And that doesn't say how many people are Anyway, that's that there. Okay, so it does look like I'm I'm live, and I'm just going to post a comment and just make sure that the uh, see if that comment comes through. It has excellent. I like that. And silly me, don't know if I should be doing this. If that comment comes through, it has. Excellent. I like that. Wonderful. Okay. Um, yeah, this is this is the thing that because Christianity is actually very divided that um, even even the term Christianity has has very different meanings. Uh, depending on what part of the world, what denomination. Uh, given that there are a lot of denominations with different uh, fundamental beliefs. Pardon me, sorry. That's my breakfast coming up. That, yeah. 
it's the so the moderates and the liberals yeah like they would just believe in a well, I suppose they'll have a philosophical belief or they won't really attach many life decisions to they'll they won't attach many life decisions to Christianity you know they might go to church once or twice a year or they uh, they're they're nominal Christians or they'll uh, they'll personally identify but a, a fundamentalist wouldn't recognize them whereas the the fundamentalists um yeah they're a they're a different kettle of fish and that's who sam harris is writing to he's you know writing to the the most injurious in retrograde of the of the faith anyway let's get back to the book this is page four this is uh page 14 of the foreword According to a recent Gallup poll, only 12% of Americans believe that life on Earth has evolved through a natural process without the interference of a deity. So he's getting a, getting a blanket. 31% believe that evolution has been guided by God. If our worldview were put to a vote, notions of intelligent design would defeat the science of biology by nearly three to one. This is troubling. And let me just... Let me just uh, hit that there. hit that there so I'm still just sharing the link still just sharing the link there that's that there good excellent uh, all these things you gotta do for social media <laughs> anyway anyway back to the book this is troubling as nature offers no compelling evidence for an intelligent intelligent designer and countless examples of unintelligent design but the current controversy over intelligent design should not blind us to the true scope of american religious bewilderment at the dawn of the 21st century the same gallup poll revealed that 53% of Americans are actually creationists. This means that despite a full century of scientific insights attesting to the antiquity of life and the greater antiquity of the earth, more than half of the American population believes that the entire cosmos was created 6,000 years ago. This is, incidentally, about a thousand years after the Sumerians invented glue. Those with the power to elect presidents and congressmen, and many who themselves get elected, 
believe that dinosaurs live two by two upon Noah's Ark. That light from distant galaxies was created en route to the Earth. And that the first members of our species were fashioned out of dirt and divine breath in a garden with a talking snake by the hand of an invisible god. Among developed nations, America stands alone in these convictions. Indeed, I am painfully aware that my country now appears, as at no other time in her history, like a lumbering, bellicose, dim-witted giant. Anyone who cares about the fate of civilization will do well to recognize that the combination of great power and great stupidity is simply terrifying, even to one's friends. The truth, however, is that many of my countrymen may not care about the fate of civilization. 44% of the American population is convinced that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead sometime in the next 50 years. According to the most common interpretation of biblical prophecy, Jesus will return only after things have gone horribly awry here on earth. It is, therefore, not an exaggeration to say that if London, Sydney, or New York were suddenly replaced by a ball of fire, some significant percentage of the American population would see a silver lining in the subsequent mushroom cloud, as it would suggest to them that the best thing that is ever going to happen was about to happen, the return of Christ. It should be blindingly obvious that beliefs of this sort will do little to help humanity create a durable future for itself, socially, economically, environmentally, or geopolitically. Imagine the consequences if any significant component of the US government actually believed that the world was about to end and that its ending would be glorious. The fact that nearly half of the American population apparently believes this, purely on the basis of religious dogma, should be considered a moral and intellectual emergency. The book you are about to read is my response to this emergency. My response to this emergency. It is my sincere hope that you will find it useful. Sam Harris. November the 1st, 2006, New York. So, that's... That's interesting. If any of you actually have something you want to... You may have wanted to add... Otherwise, I'll probably read another five or ten more pages, and we'll see what we'll see what comes up. No, I don't want to mute that. 
nothing in the private chat. That's fine there. No one watching there. Doesn't say how many are watching there. That's cool. Excellent. All right, in that case, I will. I'll carry on. Sorry for the bumping and uh, moving about. So that was the foreword in the preface to Letter to a Christian Nation. So let me just find where is a good place to stop. Because planning is my uh, is my strong point. Yeah, I'll go for maybe five, ten minutes. Let's see how this goes. So just getting comfortable. Letter to a Christian Nation. You believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that only those who place their faith in Jesus will find salvation after death. As a Christian, you believe these propositions not because they make you feel good, but because you think they are true. Before I point out some of the problems with these beliefs, I would like to acknowledge that there are many points on which you and I agree. We agree, for instance, that if one of us is right, the other is wrong. The Bible is either the Word of God, or it isn't. Either Jesus offers humanity the one true path to salvation, John 14, 6, or he does not. We agree that to be a true Christian is to believe that all other faiths are mistaken, and profoundly so. If Christianity is correct, and I persist in my unbelief, I should expect to suffer the torments of hell. Worse still, I have persuaded others, and many close to me, to reject the very idea of God. They too will languish in eternal fire, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. If the basic doctrine of Christianity is correct, I have misused my life in the most con in the worst conceivable way. I admit this without a single caveat. The fact that my continuous and public rejection of Christianity does not worry me in the least should suggest to you just how inadequate I think your reasons for being a Christian are. Of course, there are Christians who do not agree with either of us. There are Christians who consider other faiths to be equally valid paths to salvation. There are Christians who have no fear of hell and who do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. These Christians often describe themselves as religious liberals or religious moderates. From their point of view, you and I have both misunderstood what it means to be a person of faith. There is, we are assured, a vast and beautiful terrain between atheism and religious fundamentalism that generations of thoughtful Christians have quietly explored. 
according to liberals and moderates. Faith is about mystery and meaning and community and love. People make religion out of the full fabric of their lives, not out of mere beliefs. I have written elsewhere about the problems I see with religious liberalism and religious moderation. Here, we need only observe that the issue is both simpler and more urgent than liberals and moderates generally admit. Either the Bible is just an ordinary book written by mortals, or it isn't. Either Christ was divine, or he was not. If the Bible is an ordinary book, and Christ's an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. If the Bible is an ordinary book, and Christ's an ordinary man, the history of Christian theology is the story of bookish men passing a collective delusion. If the basic tenets of Christianity are true, then there are some very grim surprises in store for non-believers like myself. You understand this. At least half of the American population understands this. So let us be honest with ourselves. In the fullness of time, one side is really going to win this argument, and the other side is really going to lose. Consider, every devout Muslim has the same reason for being a Muslim that you have for being a Christian. And yet, do you not find their reasons compelling? Sorry, I should say that again. And yet, you do not find their reasons compelling. The Quran repeatedly states that it is the perfect word of the creator of the universe. Muslims believe this as fully as you believe the Bible's account of itself. There is a vast literature describing the life of Muhammad that, from the point of view of Islam, proves that he was the most recent prophet of God. Muhammad also assured his, his followers that Jesus was not divine. Quran 5, 71-75 and Quran 19, 30-38. And that anyone who believes otherwise will spend eternity in hell. Muslims are certain that Muhammad's opinion on this subject, as on all others, is infallible. Why don't you lose any sleep over whether to convert to Islam? Can you prove that Allah is not the one true God? Can you prove that the Archangel Gabriel did not visit Muhammad in his cave? Of course not. But you need not prove any of these things to reject the beliefs of Muslims as absurd. The burden is upon them to prove that their beliefs about God and Muhammad are valid. They have not done this. They cannot do this. Muslims are simply not making claims about reality that can be corroborated. This is perfectly apparent to anyone who has not anesthetized himself 
with the dogma of Islam. The truth is, you know exactly what it is like to be an atheist with respect to the beliefs of Muslims. Isn't it obvious that Muslims are fooling themselves? Isn't it obvious that anyone who thinks that the Quran is the perfect word of the creator of the universe has not read the book critically? Isn't it obvious that the doctrine of Islam represents a near-perfect barrier to honest inquiry? Yes, these things are obvious. Understand that the way you view Islam is precisely the way devout Muslims view Christianity. And it is the way I view all religions. Alright, so... That's a very interesting uh, few paragraphs there. Um, and it plays into the... Uh, I think there was a, a Ricky Gervais uh, saying that, you know, out of all the, the thousands of gods um, that have been worshipped throughout history... Um, so let's readjust my microphone here. Out of all the uh, thousands of gods... In history, Christians worship only one. And atheists... Atheists reject the same amount of gods as Christians do. Just that we go one god further. And... That's a good point. Um, Christians will reject Islam and Buddhism and Jainism and even in some more strident uh, forms, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and um, everyone else who doesn't believe the Bible and only the Bible as the inerrant divine word of God without realizing that people reject their faiths just as out of hand as how they reject other people's faiths. So I find that quite interesting. And let me just see if there's any messages that have popped up. Oh yeah, that's... Okay, that's that there. Yep, Sam Harris, yay. All right, in that case, I'll get back to the reading. So I'm currently on page seven. And this, okay, I'll probably go for a couple, uh, couple more pages. So let me get into my reading, reading position. So page seven, and this is headed, The Wisdom of the Bible. You believe that Christianity is an unrivaled source of human goodness. You believe that Jesus taught the virtues of love, compassion, and selflessness better than any teacher who has ever lived. You believe that the Bible is the most profound book ever written, and that its contests have stood the test of time so well that it must have been divinely inspired. All of these beliefs are false. Questions of morality are questions about happiness and suffering. 
This is why you and I do not have moral obligations towards rocks. To the, to the degree that our actions can affect the experience of other creatures positively or negatively, questions of morality apply. The idea that the Bible is a perfect guide to morality is simply astounding, given the contents of the book. Admittedly, God's counsel to parents is straightforward. Whenever children get out of line, we should beat them with a rod. Proverbs 13.24, Proverbs 20.30, and Proverbs 23.13.14. If they are shameless enough to talk back to us, we should kill them. Exodus 21.15, Leviticus 29, Deuteronomy 21.18-21, Mark 7.9-13, and Matthew 15. 4 to 7. We must also stone people to death for heresy, adultery, homosexuality, working on the Sabbath, worshipping graven images, practicing sorcery, and a wide variety of other imaginary crimes. Here is just one example of God's timeless wisdom. If your brother the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go serve, let us go and serve other gods. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell there, that certain base fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true, and certain that such an abominable thing has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, destroying it utterly, and all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, and then 8 to 15. Many Christians believe that Jesus did away with all this barbarism in the clearest terms imaginable and delivered a doctrine of pure love and toleration. He didn't. In fact, at several points in the New Testament, Jesus can, Jesus can be read to endorse the entirety of the Old Testament law. 
For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's see how... I'll read one more paragraph. So currently on page 10. The apostles regularly echo this theme. For example, see 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. It is true, of course, that Jesus said some profound things about love and charity and forgiveness. The golden rule really is a wonderful moral precept. But numerous teachers offered the same instruction centuries before Jesus. Zoroaster, Buddha, Confucius, Epictetus. And countless scriptures discuss the importance of self-transcending love more articulately than the Bible does while being unblemished by the obscene celebrations of violence that we find throughout the Old and New Testaments. If you think that Christianity is the most direct and undefiled expression of love and compassion the world has ever seen, you do not know much about the world's other religions. All right, I'm going to pause there on page 11. Um, when I learn how to do the streaming thing, then yeah, I will uh, do it a bit better. But uh, to anyone who has been listening to this or watching this, thank you very much. Have a great rest of the weekend. And I'll see you next time. Once I learn how to finish this. <laughs> I'm bad at this. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.